Welcome to Statehouse Spotlights, your weekly podcast that provides quick, timely updates about K-12 education legislation across the country. I'm Tom Green. And I'm Ashley Mullins. At Excel and Ed in Action, we serve as national legislative directors guiding our organization's legislative team. We work alongside state leaders and lawmakers across the country supporting student-centered K-12 education solutions. Each week on this podcast, our team is tracking education bills and we'll share the trends from the states with you. On today's episode, we're going to dive into the math crisis faced by America's students and schools. We're really excited to have Indiana House Education Committee Chairman Bob Baining, who is leading the charge in his state to address this critical issue. And our own legislative director for the Great Lakes region, Evan Eagleson, will join us for that discussion. But first, Tom, why don't we tell our listeners what's happening in education this week in the states? Yeah, as we noted last week, literacy policy continues to dominate conversations in state houses across the country. Virginia's bills to ban the harmful 3 queuing instructional practice, those bills are on the move. The House bill has passed its chamber, and the Senate bill will likely pass this week. Pennsylvania is also getting in on the action. A comprehensive early literacy bill is scheduled for consideration in the Senate Education Committee. And then Indiana continues to move a lot of early literacy policy forward. Senate Bill 1, which makes some updates to the existing state policy and strengthens retention in third grade, passed the full Senate. And then Senate Bill 6, which expands the state's literacy work to support students in grades 4 through 8, also cleared the Senate, along with a bill to ban smartphones in the classroom. And then legislators are close to expanding opportunities in New Hampshire. We're watching the New Hampshire House, which will consider several bills to expand what they call an EFA, an Education Freedom Account Program. So there'll be bills there to expand eligibility. Also in Florida, there's legislation to make improvements on their existing choice program. And then Governor Kay Ivey, we've talked about this before. She'll lay out her education agenda as of this recording, it's February 6th, so she'll lay out her agenda this evening, and we expect her to talk about education choice and providing parents more opportunities for families in Alabama. And then six states, Florida, Colorado, Georgia, Indiana, Virginia, and West Virginia, also moved college and career pathways bills. These bills would strengthen pathways after high school. It would increase parental awareness of available courses that lead to jobs in the future, collect data, align programs to in-demand careers, and expand funding for workforce training programs. There's a lot to watch as legislatures across the country are now in full swing, but let's go ahead and turn our attention to the topic of the day, and it's an important one, uh, math policy and the crisis facing our students, schools, and country. Yeah, so math, it is critical for being prepared for the workforce, critical for our country's international competitiveness. But we have a big problem. Our students aren't learning math. In December 2023, the latest program for international student assessment, PISA, released their math results, which revealed a concerning decline in the performance of American teenagers. We ranked 28th out of 37 participating countries. Despite the pandemic's impact on education, our country continues to lag behind global competitors such as Singapore and South Korea. The data confirm only 66% of our students are performing at a basic or not proficient level in mathematics, and just 7% of U.S. students scored at the highest levels in math. 
compared with 23% in Japan and South Korea and 41% in Singapore, the top performing country. And then only one in 10 students from disadvantaged backgrounds scored in the top quartile in math. So a lot of depressing results there internationally. And then if, if those weren't shocking enough, our students also performed pretty poorly on the 2022 National Assessment of Educational Progress, known as NAEP or the Nation's Report Card, where it showed in the test first results in the, since the pandemic, eighth grade math scores fell in nearly every state. Just 26% of our eighth graders were proficient, which is down from 34% in 2019. And then fourth graders didn't do much better with math declines in 41 states. A little more than a third of fourth graders scored proficient math, a five-point drop from 2019. That is scary and should be a wake-up call. And we know that these academic achievement results are dismal, but there's also something in my mind even a little more troubling than that. Students themselves are showing a disinterest in math. And when you're really not interested in something, it's hard to invest that time and the effort. And this really bears out in those achievement results that you just shared with us. Youth Truth, which is a nonprofit that actually surveys K-12 students and families to make sure that their voices are heard, polled almost 90,000 high school students recently about their perspectives on math. And the findings do represent the racial and ethnic breakdown of our students across the country. Edweek actually did a breakdown of the report and they noted, quote, The results highlight American teenagers' deep ambivalence about how math is taught in schools. While most think that it's an important subject to learn, they're often uninterested in the work that they're given in classes, which they see as disconnected from math's real-world applications, end quote. So, you know, also in this poll, less than half of students have said that their work was often or always interesting, less than half with 23% saying it never or rarely was. And these findings were similar across demographics of students. The researchers also held more open-ended discussions about this finding in their focus groups. And in those conversations, the high schoolers actually drew a distinction between what they were calling school math and real math. So school math, in their words, were the subjects needed to graduate and stand out in the college admissions process. So things that they felt like they had to do as a part of school. But real math is what they thought would help them navigate the financial landscape that they would deal with as adults. Students talked about those skills which they wanted to learn in class, like managing a bank account, investing, understanding loans, filing their taxes. Tom, this is, you know, really in line with things that we've talked about too, right? Financial literacy, making sure that students know what to do and making that connection to the real world and math. So Tom, what do you make of this? Like, what do we do about this disconnect that students are facing when it comes to math policy? Yeah, I think we've got to do a better job as states, as school systems, as local districts to sell the importance of math. And I think we can do that in two ways. And I think that survey highlights a lot of important information and gives us insight into how we can begin this process. First of all, I think it's natural and normal for people who who are excited and see the applicability of what they're learning actually learn more and achieve at higher rates. So if kids are disconnected and don't see how what they're learning in school is helping them in the long run, no wonder they're disconnected, no wonder they're not learning. 
So I think we've got to do a better job of raising awareness about the career pathways that exist. Now, there are a lot of open jobs. There are a lot of high paying jobs that lead to fulfilling careers out there that businesses are having a difficult time filling with good talent. And I think a lot of those jobs, you know, you think about cybersecurity, you think about the medical field, you think about data science and artificial intelligence. You have to know math to be successful in those career paths. And so if we can show kids and show our students how what you learn in school, the school math, quote unquote, is actually going to lead to a better paying job. It's actually going to lead to a fulfilling career. I think we can start to turn this mindset around. And then we also got to teach what kids deem as real math. So how to balance your bank account, how to assess loans and credit cards and, and how much interest you'll pay and how much you should pay on your student loans. Like there are so many practical things I think that we forget about and, and don't teach in schools that kids really need. And I think it's a both and. And, you know, we talk about the workforce, we talk about our future competitiveness as a country, all relies on this. You know, math is such an important foundational skill for those high paying jobs. You brought up artificial intelligence and why math skills are important for jobs dealing with that. But I wonder, you know, we have so much at our fingertips. We have computers, we have calculators on our phones, we have AI actually doing math for us. And so in so many ways, I'm wondering if students don't necessarily see the real world application of this. And so what do you make of that? So there's this growing movement across our country to get kids out of school and into the workforce. And I think as soon as you're able to do that at a at scale, where students are getting out of the classroom, specifically in high school, they're learning on the job, they're doing apprenticeships, they're doing internships. I think the more exposure they have to the real world, they're going to see how it's important to know math, both the concepts or the theories of math, but also the practical kind of application, but also how to break a problem down and work it out and go through the method. So I think that there's a lot to learn. And I think kids will see that more once they're out in the real world, quote unquote, to see how this is really applicable for the long term. So our nation's recent math performance is a call to action. The states have an opportunity to turn this troubling trend that we just discussed around with bigger, bolder, more comprehensive math policies that address proficiency issues, where kids struggle, giving them individualized attention that meets their unique learning needs, and really bridge this gap. I think if we can, as a country and as states, move good math policy forward and implement it well, we can bridge the gap with high-performing countries. Just last year, West Virginia, Arkansas, and Florida doubled down on math policies to better address the needs of students and help struggling math students. Alabama took action the year before. And so far this session, we've seen promising movement to tackle this crisis in states like Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Indiana. Florida Representative John Temple's House Bill 1361 would support early learners by extending eligibility for supplemental funding for students enrolled in the state's voluntary pre-kindergarten program and expanding its purpose to include math as well as reading. The funding is driven by parents to supplement their child's classroom instruction. 
Uh, in Tennessee, Representative Scott Sapicki's House Bill 1655 would require the Tennessee Department of Education to approve a professional development course on math instruction at no cost to educators in K-8 through and require an analysis of the current state math proficiency levels. Kentucky, Representative James Tipton's bill, House Bill 162, would provide universal math screeners for grades 4 through 8 and math improvement plans for students who struggle. Indiana has also come out strong with House Bill 1304, a proposal that would create a comprehensive math policy. Uh, we're really excited about it, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. And even in these states that are ahead of the curve on math policy, there is still more work to do. Policy on this is still very new, and so we're seeing that states are taking different approaches. But experts know that effective instruction, early identification of those struggling students, and extra help for them will make a really big difference. We talked about literacy last week, um, and you'll note some parallels between our fundamental principles when it comes to math policy. And so when we talk about math, we really think states need to consider the following, right? Adopting high quality instructional materials that include the study of traditional operations on numbers, providing statewide math training for K-8 teachers to ensure that they're equipped with the skills and knowledge to teach all kids math, we need to know who's struggling. And so states need to consider administering math screeners for K-8 students, along with progress monitoring and parental notification and engagement when math difficulties are found. Providing core math instruction, targeted intervention, math plans, and summer activities, like summer math camps, which we also see in the states that are tackling um, early literacy, for K-8 students with math difficulty. And then, you know, last but certainly not least, providing some tailored math at home plans and developing online resources that are easily accessible by parents and families so that we can support those families as they then support their students in learning math at home. Yeah, Ashley, those policies do sound very similar. There's a lot of parallels, as you mentioned, to early literacy. And I think that's on purpose, right? We see a lot of best practices when it comes to identifying students who struggle, monitoring their progress, notifying parents and bringing them into the equation. You talked about math at home plans, targeting interventions to the specific areas that students struggle. And I think this is even more important in math because if you don't fully understand math, if you only get part of uh, one course and then you move on to the next, you're going to be missing a big part of your foundation to continue to be successful. So it's even more important to get kids up to where they need to be uh, so they can progress and keep building. It's interesting in early literacy policy, third grade is the critical cutoff point to where kids are moving from learning to read to reading to learn. And we've also seen that third grade kind of line in the sand, if you will, that will determine if a kid is not reading by third grade, like the life outcomes for that child really goes down. There are a lot of uh, connections to students who are not reading by third grade to dropping out of high school, committing crimes, going to prison. I mean, there are a lot of negative effects that happen if kids aren't learning to read by third grade. In math, it's algebra one. Algebra one is the key to success. So preparing kids, you know, K through eight, I think eighth grade is the year that most kids take algebra one or ninth grade at the latest. And research shows that success in Algebra 1 is a strong predictor for post-secondary future success. You also mentioned math camps as an intervention 
for students. I think that's particularly important for students who are disadvantaged. The Harvard Graduate School of Education found that students lose 2.6 months of learning during the summer. So when they come back after the summer, if they haven't continued to flex that muscle and, and continue to work on math, they're going to lose a lot of learning. So teachers have to spend more time getting them caught up and then having to try to move forward. And it just makes it more challenging and much more difficult. So it's good to see that part of our recommendations and part of what states are pursuing is providing opportunities for students in the summer. That's a critical time to continue success and continue momentum. And then we also hear a lot about the science of reading. And there are five pillars to the science of reading. Phonics, phonemic awareness, comprehension, fluency, and vocabulary. Those are the key pillars to learning to read. And there's now a growing sense of the science of math, where there are five pillars for the science of math. And they are concepts, so being able to understand operations, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, fractions, relations, like how the x-axis and the y-axis relate, procedures, where students learn formulas and universal procedures to solving problems, and then being able to recall those formulas and procedures to use them flexibly, accurately, and efficiently. Students should be developing strategies and how they formulate and represent math concepts, but also solve big problems and developing strategies for that. Reasoning. Students should be able to reflect, explain, and justify their answers. And then disposition is the fifth pillar where students see the practical applications and understand the full usefulness of their math instruction. So a lot of parallels to early literacy, but also different. There are a lot of differences as well. Indiana lawmakers have included several of these fundamental math policy principles in their 2024 legislation. Let's go to Evan for a conversation with co-author of the bill, Indiana House Education Chairman, and one of the strongest education leaders in the nation, Representative Bob Baining, so we can learn more. Welcome to the podcast, Representative Baining. You know, we're honored to have you on the show today. Thank you, Evan. Appreciate the opportunity. All righty. Well, Tom and Ashley have done a great job setting the national scene, and uh, I think it's pretty clear that all measures of math proficiency show that America is far behind the rest of the world in math. What inspired you to take on this challenge in Indiana? Uh, clearly, PISA has been something I've been tracking over the last uh, decade, and seeing our constant decline has been troubling, especially as we wanted to continue to be the uh, superpower that we are. I think it is probably a matter of national security almost. Condoleezza Rice, I served with her on the Hoover Institute Practitioners Council, and she has on numerous occasions talked about the importance of academics in the United States and math being a primary function in terms of problem solving. Critical thinking is something that we really need to continue to focus on. Absolutely. It's good to see that you and a couple of your colleagues have put pen to paper and, and put together a bill in Indiana to try to tackle this issue. I know you're a co-author now. You were the original author on the bill. And so to that end, can you kind of tell us about the team that's co-authored House Bill 1304 and, and how that all came together? And are there any personal ties to the importance of math with that group? I don't know if there's any personal ties to it. I do know that Representative Tashka, for instance, worked collaboratively, very passionate about education, specifically reading in the past has been, he carried part of our reading reform bill. I had the other half last year. So it's just kind of that natural progression that I think if you 
look at academics, having foundational skills in those two areas are critical. So he's been a partner that has worked collaboratively over the last several years in terms of trying to drive success for kids academically. The Representative Goodrich is clearly a strong advocate, not just for math, but education reform in general. He has been a leader in the uh, state in terms of trying to drive success for kids looking at high school redesign and trying to figure out how we make high school more relevant. So both of those gentlemen have been key leaders on my committee and have been very excited about having the opportunity to kind of expand what we did in science of reading, what we've done in the world of CTE to math, because it's critical. Absolutely. And I think something that we talk about on our team a lot is that Indiana is kind of in a unique spot where you have leaders at all different levels, all pulling in the right direction on education and trying to really move the state forward. So I I know we're excited to see that there's so many folks interested on the ground and, and trying to tackle math proficiency in the state. And so we'll switch gears just a little bit and dig into the actual legislation here to determine how that's actually going to change math education in Indiana. Can you talk a little bit about the key elements in the bill and and why you think they're right for Hoosier students in schools? Well, I think clearly we need to identify, number one, having a screener or some sort of assessment to identify where we are deficient is critical. And then putting together strategies, much like we've done the science of reading, to really focus on those once we have identified what those deficiencies are and what we need to do. So I look at it as, you know, really a a strategic move, kind of taking the same strategies as we've done in science of reading, as I said, and really just applying those to math. We know that early numeracy skills, at least some researchers will suggest that they could be almost as important as early literacy skills. And uh, we also know that looking at the participation I've had on international uh, programs looking at education, that a lot of our educators tend to be, elementary educators specifically, tend to be very afraid of math and tend not to be necessarily the best in terms of educating kids. So whatever we can do to try to support them, to make them feel more comfortable, to make them feel like math is not something you need to be afraid of. Ironically, as we all know, majority of our elementary educators are, educators are women. And a lot of time, a lot of women say, math is not my forte. And we all kind of lean into the area where we feel strongest. So how can we kind of come alongside, support these individuals, do some early screening to find out, like I said, where they are deficient so that we can come in and support them so that they can be, and actually find math to be fun and turn it into a, a something that kids really find engaging. Yeah, I know you've heard me say this before. If I were an early elementary school teacher, I'd be one of those teachers that really enjoy teaching reading and writing and would struggle a little bit on math just from my experience in school. So I, I totally get where, where you're coming from on that, and where the teachers in current elementary schools are coming from on it as well. One of the ironic things to that, Evan, is the fact that many of the countries who are outperforming us in PISA have actually gone to content specialists, even in elementary, so that they kind of overcome that fear and trepidation by educators because the educators that are teaching that content are much better versed, much more comfortable, don't feel like they're out of their comfort zone. So I think, you know, as we look through the process, that those are things that we also ought to be looking at is maybe... Um, transforming some of our licensure so that we would have a specialist in that. And actually, you know, it's not unusual. We're talking about literacy coaches and in committee 
I know when you were listening to Ways and Means, some people thought we were putting uh, math coaches in place, which this bill doesn't do at this point. But it's not something that may, I mean, in, in terms of having uh, a uh, instructional coach in that area, it might make sense moving forward that we try to do that to provide additional support and comfort for those educators. Absolutely. And you kind of hit on it right there. And I hit on it before we jumped on the call. I know we're at the halfway point in session, so there's still a long road to go. But House Bill 1304 has been on quite a little journey so far in the legislative process. What's the positive response been like for you so far? And, and also on the flip side, what challenges have you all faced? Well, clearly, I, I think it was really pleasant in committee to see that people do think we can chew and walk at the same time. Because I think so often there's people like, well, really focused in science or reading, we can't move forward on math that, you know, let's get something. And, and I think we can do both at the same time. And I thought it was very uh, enlightening that, you know, even my ranking minority member was like, I'm really excited that we're focusing on math. Clearly this bill was mine originally. And I flipped it over to Reverend Teshka because I did put in some mastery based education language in it, which I have authored in the past, but because I was putting so much of another bill he had in there, I thought I'd give him the opportunity to run the lead on this. I still think uh, as it went through committee, it clearly had unanimous support, even going through because of some things we put in about science of reading, it's a various ed bill. We actually uh, were recommitted to Ways and Means and got unanimous support there. And as you and I spoke a couple of days ago, uh, it passed the House, or I guess it was yesterday, it passed the House unanimously as well. So I, I think it just speaks to the fact that clearly I think everybody sees that there's need to help reinforce educators. It's not an indictment on educators. It's really an opportunity to kind of support them and help move proficiency along. And I think one thing has always been clear is Indiana has kind of always been on the forefront and trying to tackle big, important education issues, especially within the last decade. And I think it's also fair to say that we'll probably expect to see many more states starting to develop math policies over the next couple of years as they try to tackle it as well. What advice would you give other state legislators as they start down that road and trying to tackle this important issue? I think clearly you need to understand where you're coming from. Look at your NAIB scores. Look at where we are as a country with PISA. I think that uh, those startling facts, I have Jason Dougal from the National Center for Education coming to um, Indiana tomorrow. He's going to actually present at state board, and he's going to work with me at Marion University. With We're going to share some PISA results with business and education leaders tomorrow evening. But I think making more people aware of where we are. I mean, complacency is the thing I worry most about, is that we're not looking at how we are competing internationally. When you find out that we're five years behind the Chinese in math, as I said earlier, if we want to continue to be a superpower, et cetera, I think we we need to make sure we pay attention to the world where it's not flat. So I think that'd be the first thing. And then, you know, not coming in as an indictment is a failure, but more of how can we come along and support people as opposed to point fingers. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I know for our legislators who tune in, as somebody who's been in the work for so long like you have, and like Tom mentioned, has been one of our stronger advocates in the nation, I hope that they can take some of that advice uh, back to their home states when they're working on this as well. So just want to say thank you so much for all your work that you're doing on this issue and so many others that you're leading on in the state and uh, for taking some time out of your day today to talk with us about math policy in Indiana. Before we let you go and enjoy some of downtime here in the halfway point of session, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close out the show? 
And now, just in closing, I would say Excellent in Action has been a great partner. Obviously, Indiana is, we want to be number one all the way across the board. And we're not where we need to be, I know, academically, but we enjoy working with Excel and Ed in action and some of the policies that they've been able to uh, educate us. And I think that's another thing I would suggest to legislators is try to lean on people who have some expertise to find out exactly what makes sense to move forward on. So thanks for the opportunity. All right. Thank you, Chairman Boehning and Evan, for sharing the great work happening in Indiana. That was a great conversation. You know, first of all, what an honor for our first guest to be Chairman Bob Boehning from Indiana to be on the podcast. He is truly a national leader when it comes to education reform and the movement that Indiana has made across the past decade or more uh, is largely because of his leadership. There's been a lot of people in Indiana who've moved the ball forward, but he's certainly been a leader. And, and I think as the years come, when we start to see more and more results. A lot of that will be because of his work. He brought up a lot of really good points and I thought that were interesting. He really made the connection between math and American competitiveness in the world and our position as superpower. And he made that connection to national security. You know, a lot of these jobs that are available, we mentioned earlier in the podcast that cybersecurity is a critical job that needs to be filled all across the country. And math is a critical skill to have that job. And he made that connection. So I think it just added much more of a call to action to states by making that connection. And then he also made the parallel, and we, we talked about this briefly earlier, between early literacy and math. There are a lot of best practices in the policies that we advocate for in both areas. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about the interview, Ashley? I thought it was really good. Oh, I thought it was so good. And I'm so glad that we had him on as our first guest. Speaking of those parallels between early literacy and math, I was really glad that he, you know, reiterated some of the fundamental principles that we hope all states will consider. You know, if we don't measure what's happening, we can't fix the problem. And if we don't know where students are struggling, we can't offer them the right supports that they need. And so I was really pleased to hear him talk about the screening portion of the bill because that is so critical. But I was equally excited to hear him talk about supports for educators and not pointing fingers, right? We have this conversation about literacy all the time. When we know better, we can do better. And so now that we know better and we know what works for kids, we can support our educators. We can better train them. We can get them the help and the support they need uh, to translate policy into practice in the classroom. So I was really excited to hear him talk specifically about that. Yeah, and I think that sells well when you're talking to educators and school districts. I mean, you know, there's always resistance to change. That's just a, that's human nature. But if you come at it with, we have a better way or a more enhanced way of doing things that will lead to results. We're not pointing fingers and judging, you know, for your best effort in the past. But to your point, Ashley, when we know better, we do better. And I think that is such a great framing because sometimes change can feel like an attack. It, it can be difficult for our system. But I think if we come at it from that perspective, I think is much more helpful. And then he also brought up departmentalization of math teachers. So really getting content specialists as elementary school teachers, I thought was very helpful because, you know, elementary school teachers are required to teach so many subjects and be a master of many things. Math seems to be much more challenging. And as a teacher, it might make more sense. And, and, and we make this recommendation that you should 
have a departmentalization of math, like have a specialist in math so they're fully prepared for the classroom. It also goes to show that we can take a few from other countries who have figured out how to do things maybe in a better way than we have. And so I'm, I'm pleased that he shared some of that uh, research that he's done in other areas of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we hope you learned something helpful to listeners. Please keep the conversation around math education going in your communities. Every state has room to improve on this front. That's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for joining us on State House Spotlights. You can engage with our team at Excel and Ed in Action on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and X. Please give our podcast a review and subscribe if you can so you're always the first to know about new episodes. Keep counting, keep learning, and keep making a difference. Until next time, take care.